2: As they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So, cat's menstruating.
0: (laughs) And and I get a message on my phone. Can you uh, stop the store, pick a few things up? Uh, You lead into it with like dishwashing liquid. Uh, oh, then feminine products, uh, pasta, salad, and chocolate. Bye. And so I'm at the store and I'm in the process of trying to determine what type of feminine products because I, I didn't major in that. And my phone rings and it's you FaceTiming me. And I said, oh, good. I'm glad that you're here because you can help me pick out what I'm supposed to get. And so I'm holding the phone up. To the shelf of feminine products, and you're like, a little more to the left, okay, now. And then some guy's walking behind me.
1: He must have thought you were a genius.
0: Yeah, I don't know if he thought I was a genius or he just was ready to call the authorities of some sort.
1: It just makes good sense. If you don't know what to get, call and ask for help. And uh, I just think that makes, it makes so much more sense than bringing home something that someone didn't need.
2: And I tried
1: to be more specific with you uh, without making a scene because we were on FaceTime. So I said, (laughs) think more non bread rather than baguette. And you were like, I don't understand what you're saying at all.
0: I was a little slow on the uh, on the uptake when it came to your fresh baked goods analogies.
1: It's all right. We got what we needed.
0: Okay, good. So it's the box of oddities and I go first. And I think that most people, when they think of UFO sightings, they think of probably the UFO sightings beginning like in the 40s with Roswell or uh, during the early Cold War period. That's when most of the modern day UFO sightings started to be reported. Mm -hmm. The UFO craze through the 50s and 60s. And of course, sightings still happening all the time. But what a lot of people don't realize is that there have been sightings throughout history. Way back in some early Egyptian writings in the Book of Life, they talk about uh, disc-shaped fire objects in the sky, flying shields and things like that. Right. But not going back even that far in the 1800s, between 1896 and 1897, it's what they called the airship wave wave. Of 1896, 1897. According to Wikipedia, there were several sightings during this time period reported throughout the country. Now,
1: this was 1896, 1897. Is that what you said? Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah. The late 1800s. Okay. The best known of the mystery airship waves began in California in 1896. Uh, Reports and accounts of similar airships came from other areas. They were mostly, they seemed to be moving eastward across the country. Um, accounts during this wave of airship reports that claimed some of the some of the occupants were visible that they could actually see the occupants in the craft.
1: Interesting.
0: And these were reported in newspapers throughout the country.
1: Okay, but I mean, keep in mind, you know, shredded wheat hadn't been invented at the time, so there was a lot that they didn't <laughs> understand.
0: That's true. Shredded wheat technology had not been advanced to the point. For uh, human consumption, it's
1: the gauge that we all use for whether or not people are advanced. Is shredded <laughs>
0: Is that
1: not what you use? Huh? Okay. The
0: uh, the occupants that were seen allegedly uh, were described to appear to be human, at least through their behavior and manner and mannerisms. Clothing was sometimes reported to be unusual, and sometimes there was communication between the uh the beings in the craft and the people who witnessed it and they say that these people claimed to be from mars
2: uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: clearly what we have here is something going on that's unexplainable and people are embellishing the story sure could yeah. it have been early experimental aircraft maybe some crazy inventor guy somewhere in California had come up with some sort of a of a ship that could you know who knows
1: ancient astronaut theorists say probably not probably
0: not historian uh, Mike Dash described and summarized the uh, 1896-97 series of airship sightings he wrote Not only were the mystery airships bigger, faster, and more robust than anything that had been produced by the aviators of the world, they seemed to be able to fly enormous distances and were equipped with giant wings. Now, the 96-97 airship wave is probably the best investigated in all uh, historical anomalies. The files from almost 1,500 newspapers from across the United States have been combed for reports which he says is an astonishing feat of research. The general conclusion of the investigators was that a considerable number of these simpler sightings were misidentifications of planets and stars, mm-hmm. and a large number of the more complex, the result of hoaxes and practical jokes. But there was a small remaining amount that were perplexing. So people were jumping on the bandwagon. This was becoming newsworthy. Oh, yeah. And so they were like, hey, let's get a piece of this action and started creating hoaxes. And some of the reported sightings, the Sacramento Bee and the San Francisco Call reported the first airship sighting on November 18th of 1896. The witnesses reported uh, they saw a bright light moving slowly uh, over the Sacramento area that evening. They thought it was about a thousand feet in the air. Some witnesses said they could see a dark shape behind the light. One of the witnesses, a guy named R.L. Lowry, said that uh, he heard a voice from the craft issuing commands to increase elevation in order to avoid hitting a church steeple. My guess is that's probably not real. Mm,
1: Yeah, I mean, that could have been a shooting star and then someone got confused.
0: Or he's just making it up. Um, <laughs> Lowry further described the craft as being powered by two men pedaling bicycles.
1: Yep. Yeah. Oh gosh. From you know, Mars. Huh? Those <laughs> those bicycle powered planes mm-hmm. and uh, ships from Mars. They all the time speak in English, uh, talking about church
0: steeples. Right. that was one of the more questionable witness accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, November 19th, the edition of the Stockton, California Daily Mail featured one of the earliest accounts of an alleged alien craft sighting, a Colonel H.G. Shaw.
1: Why do these people only have two first initials and then a last name? Because the last guy did too.
0: No, I think everybody back then did that. Oh, okay.
1: It makes me want to read some R.L. Stein.
0: I think it makes you sound more classy. Like in my case, J.G. Toth. Or even more so, if you just use a first initial middle name and then last name. J- L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> I wasn't going to use that as an example, but Jay Gilligan-Toth.
1: That's pretty nice.
0: I sound like one of those 19th century English explorers that puts on his pith helmet and dashes about the globe exploring jungles. Mm,
1: Or a dentist who lies about his name.
0: So anyway, Colonel H.G. Shaw claimed that while driving a buggy near Stockton, California, he came across what appeared to be a landed spacecraft. He described it as having a metallic surface, which was completely featureless apart from uh, a pointed end. He estimated the diameter to be about 25 feet, said the vessel was around 150 feet in total length, and that three slender, seven-foot-tall apparent extraterrestrials approached him from the craft while emitting strange Warbling noises. Ooh, warbling
1: noises. Yeah, That's, that sounds sexy. That's it. A- <laughs> it sounds like the beginning of an interstellar porn. Whoa, 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 I don't understand what's happening.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I, I mean, I guess.
2: Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa.
0: Boom, chicka, pow. The beings reportedly examined Shaw's buggy.
1: Yeah, they did. <laughs> i'm sorry you're telling a story okay (laughs)
0: and then attempted to physically force him to accompany them back to their airship the Mm -hmm. aliens were said to have given up after realizing they lacked the physical strength to force shaw aboard Mm -hmm. they were seven feet tall but very thin and and wiry and perhaps the gravitational pull was different here than their planet and they just didn't have the uh the strength to do it.
1: Right. Or he made it up. They which couldn't lift- even get me back into their ship.
0: They tried, but it couldn't even make me. <laughs> <laughs> they supposedly fled back to their ship, which lifted off the ground and sped out of sight at a right angle, which is weird because there are a lot of modern day sightings that say that. Shaw believed that the beings were from Mars. Everybody thought they were from Mars. Yeah,
1: they didn't know about all the planets at that point.
0: And he believed that they had been sent out to kidnap an Earthling for unknowable but potentially nefarious purposes.
2: Wow. On April 10th, 1897,
0: the St. Louis Post-Dispatch published a story reporting that one W.H. Hopkins... (laughs) <laughs> encountered a grounded airship about 20 feet in length, eight feet in diameter, near the outskirts of Springfield, Missouri. The vehicle was apparently propelled by three large propellers, and it was crewed by a beautiful nude woman and a bearded man who was also nude.
1: I, just, I really should have saved my, my porn scenario for... <laughs>
0: yeah. Never oh. mind.
1: whoa <laughs> Okay. <clears throat>
0: This next account is thought of by many to be the most substantial account from that wave of sightings, an account from Aurora, Texas, related in the Dallas Morning News on the 19th of, 80, of 97, 1897, of course, uh, reported that a couple of days before an airship had smashed into a windmill later determined to be a sump pump belonging to a Judge Proctor, and then it crashed. The occupant was dead and mangled, but the story reported that the presumed pilot was clearly, quote, not an inhabitant of this world, that strange hieroglyphic figures were seen in the wreckage, which resembled a mixture of aluminum and silver. It uh, must have weighed several tons, the report goes on to say. A few years later, unusual metallic material recovered from the presumed crash site was shown to contain a percentage of aluminum and iron admixed The story ended up noting that the pilot was given, quote, a Christian burial in the town cemetery. Now, in 1973, MUFON investigators discovered the alleged stone marker used in this burial. There actually was a place there that locals said, yeah, that's where they were buried. Uh, The metal detectors indicated a quantity of foreign material uh, might be buried there But they were not permitted to exhume. The town wouldn't let them dig it up. When they returned several years later, the headstone and whatever metallic material that had lain beneath it was gone.
1: But what's MUFON?
0: Mutual UFO Network. Oh. According to locals, the legend is that a lot of the material that had been recovered from that crash site was thrown down a well and then sealed up. And I saw a documentary not too long ago where they found the old well on the Proctor land and exhumed it and dug it up mm-hmm. to see if there was anything in there. There was nothing in there, but they're not sure that was the well. So
1: Right. It could have been a different well.
0: But that was not the first American UFO sighting. Okay. The first recorded UFO sighting occurred in 1639 near present-day Boston, and was recorded that same year by John Winthrop, the governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony. It's according to Discovery and Ripley's.
1: Hold on. What year did you say that was?
0: 1639. Pilgrims had just got there.
1: I just Googled him and it doesn't have his middle name. How am I supposed to change his name to J-something Winthrop?
0: <laughs> Son of a bitch. Okay, go ahead. Now, being the governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony, he kept a journal. And in his journal dated March 1st, it gives a detailed account of very strange events. Winthrop's story is very different from other conventional entries that he recorded, which were basically, you know, the successes and challenges facing the Puritans in the colony at the time. Sure. But on March 1st, his writing described very bizarre, perhaps otherworldly happenings, very X-Files-ish. Winthrop relates that a James Everell, who was, quote, a sober, discreet man, was rowing a boat with two other men in the Muddy River, which empties through a swamp into a tidal basin of the Charles River.
1: Love that dirty water.
0: Ooh, Boston, you're my home. All of a sudden, a great light came into view. According to the men, the light both hovered and then flew at high speed back and forth between their vessel and the village of Charlestown, two miles away. Mm. In his journal, Winthrop describes it, quote, "...when it stood still, it flamed up and was about three yards square. When it ran, it contracted into the figure of a swine. It ran as swift as an arrow toward Charlestown." And so, up and down, about two or three hours. Captivated by the sight, Everall and his companions watched the light speeding around up and down the, uh, the river basin for hours, But that wasn't the strangest thing. According to uh, Winthrop's account, as the men watched the light event, they were, quote, they were come down in their lighter boat about a mile, pushed up the tide. Yet when the light vanished, the men realized their boat had returned to its original location. They had no memory of rowing against the tide or of dropping anchor. They speculated that the light somehow transported them back to where they had started. Oh,
1: wow. They had
0: no memory of how they got there. The three men in the boat weren't the only witnesses of this event. According to Winthrop, Diver's other credible persons saw the same light after in about the same place. End quote.
1: So I'm sorry. So dudes are in the boat. Yeah, and they're in the boat. they spot this airborne flame. Yes. Which then turns into a pig right. and runs in the air. Right. But still made of flame.
0: Well, that's what the yeah, how they describe and it, And then yes.
1: it goes to the Looked other. Looked like a swine. Okay. And then it comes back and just kind of zips back and forth. Back and forth. And then all of a sudden they were back at the spot that they started at? Yes. Okay, weird.
0: And the governor, Governor Winthrop, said that they were um, of sober mind
1: sure <laughs> sober and what was the other word chill it wasn't chill it was nope it was
0: a sober discreet, discreet man. yeah that was it yeah and then after the um the vision went away they found themselves up river right right back where they started from. where they started from and uh they they couldn't understand that now A popular theory is that it was swamp gas because Mm -hmm. they were in kind of a muddy, swampy area. Sure. But if you've ever seen video of swamp gas, it's like a lake lighting a fart. You know, it just kind of comes up from the water and then burns out.
1: It doesn't run down to the nearby town and then come back. Looking
0: like a pig. Looking like a pig. Yeah. So there's that. Anyway, that's the earliest reported UFO sighting. And of course, UFO unidentified flying object doesn't necessarily mean alien craft. Right. Just, Hey, what the hell is that? And then only they said it like,
1: are these visions before us? Blasphemy. I say,
0: no, they're from Boston. They were more oh. like, Hey, you can't pack your car there like that. And by the way, if you, have you ever tried to park in Boston? Forget it.
1: Yeah. You might as well be made of swamp gas. I don't know what that means. But it's certainly a less sexy story than that last one, so... That's
0: true. Let me hear your sexy alien porn voice again.
1: No, I don't think so.
2: We were going to call this segment Kevin, but it didn't do well in focus groups. So now we call it That Thing in the Middle.
1: This week on The Thing in the Middle, we're talking about... Interesting tour writer demands.
2: Ought to be a
0: rock star and to live the rock star life. You can ask for anything you want when they hire you to do a show, and many performers do.
1: Number five, Katy Perry. She loves flowers. She requests flowers. She does have a very specific demand, though. No carnations.
0: Carnations make her angry. Kanye West demands a slushy machine with mixes of Coke and Hennessy and Grey Goose and Lemonade. Actually, that sounds kind of cool. I don't think so. Also, a tub of yogurt for dipping.
1: For dipping what?
0: Groupies. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Number three. It's reported Lady Gaga has requested a mannequin with puffy pink pubic hair in her dressing room, (laughs) alongside more common requests like bottles of water and wine.
0: Paul McCartney requests six full and leafy floor plants, and the plants have to be as leafy on the bottom as they are on the top. He's Sir Paul. Give him what he wants. Just
2: give
1: him what he wants. Nothing with trunks. And number one, of course, always known for her diva demands, Mariah Carrie is reported to have requested 20 white kittens and an attendant to dispose of her used chewing gum.
0: That's a good gig.
1: Are you being sarcastic?
0: I guess it would depend on what the benefits were. I you know, suppose. if you get good insurance or something, then yeah, sure. But you'd need a fancy name.
1: Like a title or just yeah, a, like a fancy a t- name? A
0: title. You, oh. need, you would need a title for that to throw away Mariah Carey's used chewing gum.
1: Used chewing gum disposal attendant. Okay, so.
0: Senior director of exhausted chewable substances. The box of oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan Toth. You know, to get ahead today, you really need to look your best. But that's hard. It's hard to look your best. That's why Stitch Fix is such a great idea, because it's your online personal styling service that finds and delivers you clothes and shoes and accessories to fit your body, your budget, and your lifestyle.
1: Yeah, you can go to stitchfix.com slash box and tell them your sizes, what styles you like, and how much you want to spend on each item. Their questionnaire in getting you ready for your first Stitch Fix box. It's fun. It is fun. And it's it's more in depth than I expected it to be, which I appreciate because I am so such a picky human person for someone who wears garbage clothes. It doesn't even make any sense.
0: But you don't wear garbage clothes anymore thanks to Stitch Fix. They hooked you up and you are looking good, lady.
1: Thank you. Yeah, uh, you'll be paired with your very own personal stylist who will hand pick five items and then send them right to your door. And you don't have to keep all five. You keep the ones that'll work for you. And there's nothing grosser than... The pressure inside of a dressing room at a department store or whatever, when you're like, are people wondering what's taking me so long? (laughs) Are these mirrors lying to me? Right. Can someone zip me up?
0: And then you have to slink back to the rack. And leave the clothes that don't fit. It's right. humiliating. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. None of these are going to work. No.
0: Thanks. No. Because
1: I don't know how to pick out clothes for my own body.
0: Check out Stitch Fix. They will hook you up. There's no subscription required. You can sign up to receive scheduled shipments. Get your fix whenever you want. And Stitch Fix's styling fee is only $20, which is applied toward anything you keep from your shipment.
1: Get started now at stitchfix.com box and you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash box to get started today.
0: I've always wanted my own personal stylist, but I never thought I could afford it. Stitch Fix gives you your own personal online stylist and oh yeah, you can afford it. Especially when you go to stitchfix.com slash box, you will get An extra 25% off when you keep all five items in your box.
1: Ditchfix.com slash box.
0: Do it and start looking good.
1: The podcast world is growing bigger every day and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it.
0: Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves.
1: Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back.
0: Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's tip jar.
1: It's free, it's the easiest to use, and we're adding cool new New features every day
0: go to your app store download Himalaya that's
2: h-i-m-a-l-a-y-a
1: and don't forget to follow the box of oddities once you're there
2: the box of oddities celebrity voice impersonated hey girl sup oh hey hey I don't know it's just your whole alien porn voice just
0: kind of
1: all right well yeah. that's weird
0: anyway what you got for me
1: eventually the earth will die
0: oh well, that's good to know <laughs> That's good to know. We all know that, but boy, it's a slap in the face.
1: So 4 billion or 5 billion years from now, the sun will expand and probably eat us all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I just want to talk about that whole process. I think that's super interesting. So um, here we go.
0: Can you imagine the sunrise that morning? This sunrise hurts. (laughs) Hurts Remember
1: when I had corneas?
0: Yeah. No, I don't have corneas.
1: So... um, Mercury and... Because we know, like... Okay, so okay let's start from the beginning. So the sun survives by burning hydrogen atoms into helium, uh, helium atoms in its core. In fact, it burns through 600 million metric tons of hydrogen every second.
0: That's hard to get your head around.
1: I'll repeat it. 600 million metric tons of hydrogen every second. I translated that into pounds because i'm a numbskull and then i couldn't read what that number was
0: (laughs) because there were too many zeros i
1: had to put a bunch of commas in in order to be able to figure it out and even then i i just i i abandoned it and i i just continued
0: reading once you get past a trillion it's confusing it is
1: As the sun's core becomes saturated with helium, it shrinks, causing nuclear fission reactions to speed up. So for every billion years, the sun spends burning hydrogen, it gets about 10% brighter. Even with just a 10% increase of brightness from our star, the Earth will no longer be in the habitable zone. Uh, It just takes that much.
0: That's amazing.
1: Uh, this will mark the beginning of the evaporation of our oceans. And, uh, by the time the sun stops burning hydrogen in its core, Mars will be in the habitable zone and the earth will be much too hot to maintain water on its surface at all. And we'll all kick it assuming that we're still here.
0: How long will Mars be in the habitable zone?
1: We're going to get to that.
0: Because there are ice caps there and they'll melt and we can move to Mars.
1: Most of this information comes from Universe Today, Live Science, and Wikipedia. The sun's still got enough hydrogen to keep this expanding process going for billions of years. But eventually, almost all of the hydrogen in the sun's core will have fused into helium. And at that point, the sun won't be able to generate as much energy, and it'll start to collapse under its own weight. That weight can't generate enough pressure to fuse helium as it did with the hydrogen at the beginning of the star's life. What hydrogen is left on the core surface, will fuse, and that helium core will start to collapse on itself. And when that does, it releases energy, creating heat because of that increased pressure. Um, That release of energy results in more light and heat, making the sun even brighter. And this is when that expansion starts to happen.
0: It starts to envelop the planets as it swells out.
1: The sun turns into a red giant and eats Mercury, probably Venus, and possibly Earth. This whole process of turning into a red giant actually takes about five million years.
0: So we got time.
1: Well, I mean, we're already dead.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah, that's true. Because this is how many billions of years in the future that the creation of the red star, takes the red apart. giant, red yeah. giant, yeah.
1: Yeah. And in in the amount of time that it will take to start the Red Giant process, it will have already become 40% brighter. So remember, it's only at 10% that we no longer have oceans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's all it takes. 10%. Boop. And we're, I mean, yeah, we we're, got, we're crispy critters. We're a rock. We got nothing. Yeah. So don't worry about what we're doing at this point because we're not here.
0: Unless... We're time travelers, like the Doctor Who episode, where he went to the future to watch the Where Earth. he's
1: watching it from yeah, the, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're still not here.
0: That's true. Technically, you're correct. Right. But we're here because we're where we are. Wherever you go, that's where you are.
1: But we're not, because but, we're all dead.
0: But if we time traveled, then here would be there. And when?
1: No, because we'd be over there watching here.
0: So confusing.
1: Anyway, so once it reaches the red giant branch phase, which is called RGB, which immediately in my head, I started saying Ruth, Ruth Gator, Gator Binsburg.
0: Ruth <laughs> Gator Binsburg. <laughs> so this, Notorious RGB.
1: <laughs> the uh, sun will have uh, approximately at this point, once it's, it's turned into the red giant. Uh, About 120 million years of active life left. Now, that's going to be a very busy time for sun, as sun has a lot of phases to move through. Sure. And uh, keep in mind that once the sun becomes a giant, the habitable zone will move out to between forty nine and seventy astronomical
0: units. What the hell does that mean?
1: So an astronomical unit is the distance approximately uh, from the sun to us.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, so ninety three to ninety six million miles. I don't remember. Depending upon the season.
1: Uh, Neptune in its current orbit would probably have become too hot for life, and the wow. place to be is Pluto. Oh. Shit, maybe we've got some apologies to make (laughs) to Pluto.
0: Yeah. Sorry, Pluto, we dissed you and took away your planetary status because you're our only hope. Right. Though,
1: uh, really, most of us are going to have to have died off at that time because what is Pluto? Like the size of Australia? We're not going to all be able to move there.
0: Unless we're time travelers.
1: It It still doesn't make any sense. Because if we're time travelers, then we're still not there.
0: I don't want to go around in circles with you anymore on this whole time travel thing.
1: So, moving right along. After the red giant phase, first, the core will ignite violently into a helium flash, where approximately 6% of the core and 40% of the sun's mass will be converted into carbon within a matter of minutes. Whoa. So, you think of anything on that kind of scale happening within minutes, and it kind of blows my mind, um... The yeah. So the sun will then shrink to around 10 times its current size. So think at this point, it's already expanded out mm-hmm. and eaten everything. Right. Nom, 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 nom. And now it's shrinking back in. And over the course of the next 20 million years, the sun will become super unstable and begin losing mass through a series of thermal pulses. So they'll happen about every 100,000 years or so. And each thermal flash will be bigger than the one before, and it will increase the sun's luminosity to 5,000 times its current brightness. Holy crap. Now... What's interesting is that so often during this process, the brightness will increase, but the heat being given off will decrease and the size will increase, but the light given off will decrease and vice versa. Um, There's a lot of things that are kind of counterintuitive because I think bigger sun, hotter, brighter. That's not the case. Not the case. In this case the thermal flashes will just make it unbelievably bright. And after 500,000 years or so, only half of the sun's current mass will remain and its outer envelope will begin to form a planetary nebula. Planetary nebula, interestingly enough, we're familiar with nebulas, yeah? Uh, Planetary nebula is named that way because of the shape it takes on and because probably in the early days of astronomy when people were looking through uh, telescopes and were spotting these nebulas, they assumed that they were related to planets somehow because of the shape. Um, but it turns out they're just nebulas, just in a different shape. It's, hmm. So previously, astronomers had thought that it would turn into a pra- planetary nebula, which is a, a you know... a illuminated bubble of gas and dust, but there was some debate on whether or not our star was big enough for that process to take place. Several previous studies have found that in order for a bright planetary nebula to form, the initial star needs to have been up to twice as massive as the sun. But an international team of astronomers used a uh, computer modeling system to determine that like 90% of other stars, our sun is most likely to shrink down from a red giant to become a white dwarf and then end as a planetary nebula. So there was some back and forth, okay. but some, some neat models have shown that, that we we're on the small side of stars, but we're big enough for a nebula. Thanks very much.
0: But not big enough to become a black hole. No. Not enough mass for that.
1: Most planetary nebulae form at the end of a star's life and are a relatively short-lived phenomenon. They last about 10,000 years compared to a typical stellar lifetime spanning several billion years. The process of nebula is really neat and beautiful, and I love them, which is why I have one on my back.
0: She's talking about a tattoo.
1: Right. Not one that just follows me around, no. hassling me all the time. Yeah. Get off my back, Nebula. Nobody needs your shit.
0: (laughs) We, By the way, we are against interstellar bullying.
1: That's right. (laughs) So, as we've discussed, we do believe now that our star will become that planetary nebula with the white dwarf uh, core. And the exposed core will reach about 30,000 K... Which is about um, 53.5 thousand degrees. Ouch. In Fahrenheit. I had to Google that. (laughs) And then the final naked core temperature will be about 100,000 K. Hold on. Which is about 179,000 degrees Fahrenheit.
0: For 10 minutes.
1: Unbelievable, right? And then
0: flip them over.
1: Till they're nice golden brown. Right.
0: And then another 10 minutes at 154 million, whatever you said it was, big temperature number.
1: We've been watching a lot of the Great British Baking Show lately. And
0: so. eating a lot of those uh, nuggets. So That's true. Veggie nuggets.
1: Of course. Yeah. So the Planetary Nebula will disperse in about 10,000 years. But the white dwarf will survive for trillions of years before vi- eventually kind of fizzling out and fading to black. And that will be the end of our sun.
0: Hmm. Wow. And the universe is what right now?
1: 13.8 billion years old. That's according to space.com. Oh, but this article's two years old.
0: Well, so you got to factor that in too. Right. So, yeah. 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 Um, so you're talking like 10 trillion years. That's. How do they know this if the universe is only yeah. like 13 billion years and change now? I,
1: I don't know. There are a lot of... So if this means this, then this must mean this uh-huh. when it comes to space math. And... I
0: think it's all parlor magic.
1: <laughs> I think that there's... It's all
0: hokey pokey.
1: We um, we do the best that we can with what we know. And I think that uh, it's unreasonable to assume that we we know much of anything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but I think you know we got some we've got some good science working for us and you know we know certain sets of things make sense or have over the length of time that we've been observing them listen I don't know
0: that was a long way to go to say you don't know. Well,
1: <laughs> it's like anything else, any sort of law of nature. We we see repeated uh, enough times that we understand that to be a, a truth.
0: Carl Sagan talked about this, the universe being 13 billion years old. And that seems like a lot to us because our average lifespan is 70, 80 years or whatever. But if you were to take the history of the universe from the Big Bang to now, 13 billion some odd years.
1: The cosmic calendar. Yeah,
0: and compress it down to, well, let's say just three minutes. And you could watch it from a distance. The stars that you're talking about uh, expanding and contracting, they would look like little, little sparks flying. And what you would see was an explosion. We are in the middle of an explosion, Mm -hmm. but it's happening so slow from our perspective that we don't know it. I love that. Thank you, Carl Sagan. I love you. Wherever you are, or whenever you are.
1: Oh, wow. There we go
0: again. Right.
1: Anyway, we're all going to die.
0: Okay, that's good to know.
1: Cool. It blows my mind. It's beyond my comprehension. A lot of times when we talk about numbers this big or time, I I got... I need it broken down into grilled cheese,
0: or I don't get it. <laughs> the grilled cheese unit measurement.
1: <laughs> and I appreciate so much that uh, are interested in this, and you know we can share these these things that we find. That was
0: one of the first things you and I bonded over was our love for uh, Carl Sagan and Neil Grass de Ty- uh, Neil
1: yeah. <laughs> Neil
0: deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> And uh, Salvador Dali. Dolly. Dolly. Yeah, those were the three right there. So yeah, I love stuff like that. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Well, the dogs have been really restless oh
1: my during this it's episode. It's been rough.
0: So I think we need to either feed them or put them out.
1: Like get rid of them? No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Although there were a couple of moments during the podcast recording that I thought that might not be a bad suggestion.
1: I have been criticized before for talking smack to my dogs, like, listen. And one more outburst like that, and you're going straight to the shelter. I like to threaten them.
2: Your
0: threats are hollow. They know it. They look at you and go, right. The Box of Oddities twice a week. We look forward to seeing you on Monday.
1: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
2: Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com on Facebook at Facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast on Twitter at box of oddities and Instagram at box of oddities podcast. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hello, everyone. Stuck you here? And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History
0: of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything.